You need not say goodbye. The people will shout my name. Pilate will tell them there's nothing I've done to deserve this, but they will refuse. Pilate will stand me beside Barabbas, a murderer, and they will choose him over me. Pilate will appeal to the priest, insist on simply whipping me to appease their fury, but they will shout it louder, crucify, crucify. But still, you need not say goodbye. My hands will be tied to a post. The sound of the whip will ring in your ears and in your chest. The soldiers will peel the skin off my back. A ring of thorny branches will be pressed into my scalp until the blood runs into my eyes. Oh, but listen. You need not say goodbye. I will carry that cross. I will go to the place of the skull and there they will drive the iron stakes between the bones in my wrist. With a hammer, they will nail my feet into the tree. I will be raised up as the world waits for me to die. Nevertheless, you need not say goodbye. Between two thieves I will hang. You may hear me speaking to my father, your father. You may hear me ask him, why? But child, you need not say goodbye. What you won't see, what you won't hear, what you won't know until all of this is done is that in that moment, I was paying the penalty of your wrongdoing, every wrongdoing, every mistake, every act of envy, every word of hatred, every moment of violence and greed and spite, every selfish desire, every lustful thought, every moment of weakness and weariness, all the failures of human history will be in my hands and on my head. On that cross, I will suffer the wrath that was destined for you. Every guilty verdict fallen on me, your punishment will be paid for in my blood and it will be enough. I will die on your cross. I will let out a final sigh. Know that I have loved you, and you need not say goodbye. But if you must, if you absolutely must say the word goodbye, then say it like this. Goodbye fear. Goodbye sorrow. Goodbye rejection. Goodbye shame. Say it like this. Goodbye guilt. Goodbye condemnation. Goodbye all the regrets of the past. Look up at the cross and speak the words. Goodbye addiction. Goodbye chains. Goodbye hopelessness. Right here in this place, say it aloud. Goodbye captivity. Hello freedom. Goodbye loneliness. Hello belonging. Goodbye defeat. Hello victory. This is the end of the curse. 
This is the demise of the serpent. This is all debts paid. This is, it is finished. Goodbye, all the powers of hell. Goodbye, darkness. Goodbye, dread. Goodbye, every sin. Go ahead and say it. Goodbye, death. thousands and thousands of years ago something started here on this planet now most of us we don't know the truth it could be a myth it could be a, a lie it could be a made-up story and there's many stories that that have accounts of how this world started there's one account that is tested time there's one account that you can't overlook. There's one account that the world hears over and over and over again. And it's about this God that one day looked at either at himself or he was talking to himself because it's three in one and he said I need to embody my love and he starts to create and the way that he does it is with his words there's power in his words and he spoke and as he spoke things came to be first light then atmosphere water earth plants and when he looked at all of it, animals, when he saw it all, he said, it is good. But it yet wasn't great. He said, I need to embody myself. I need to embody my love. My essence of who I am. And so I want to create something that is unlike everything that I just created. It's unlike light. It's unlike air. It's unlike the dirt. It's unlike everything else. And yet it is like everything else. I'm going to, I want to create a picture of me and my love. And he takes the dust of the earth and he forms it. And as he starts to form it into his image, he then looks back and he breathes life into it with one breath. And with that first heartbeat of man, something started. Something that we couldn't fathom. With that first heartbeat, creation began. And as man looked over the earth and as man had relationship with, with his God and his creator, he had these, these, these moments of, 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 I believe, these moments of just kind of sorrow, these moments of loneliness. And he says, look, there's, look, God, creator, there is nothing on this earth that's, that, that is suitable for me. God heard his plea and heard his cry. And he says, and I'm going to form something else. But it's going to be a part of you and you cannot be separated from it. For you too will go and you will rule over, uh, you will have dominion over this world together. 
And one day he goes to sleep, and when he wakes up, there's this woman, his wife, his helper, partner. And they fell madly in love with each other. And as they started walking on this earth, there was something that had to be done. Uh, they, they, they had to live. They had to work the ground. They had to tend to the animals. It wasn't just like, I'm just going to kick back and, and just watch all this stuff happen. No, he literally, they literally had to do stuff together. And they couldn't do it by themselves. They literally had to work together for this to take place. And every evening in the cool of the day, their creator, their God would come and ask how they were doing. And one day he gave them a rule, if you would. Hey, whatever you do, don't eat from this tree. It's the tree of, of, of good and evil. If you eat from it, you'll be like me. And you'll know good from evil. But as of right now, you don't know that. And you don't have what, what we call death. See, death was not something they knew about because they were created for eternity. Why? Because that was the image of God. God is eternal. And so they were created for an eternity with Him. And He said, whatever you do, don't eat from this because this will start something we call death. And death is a separation from me. And trust me, you don't want it. But there was a a crafty animal, if you will, a serpent. Some call him a snake, but it had arms and it had legs and it had a voice and it was smart. See, he understood this concept of death. And he told the woman that was standing next to the tree as she was tending uh, to the garden and, and, and the serpent looked at her and said, hey, why don't you eat some of this? She knew better. Like, serpent, we're not allowed to eat from that tree. You know that. But see, the serpent did something that the world does to us. It confuses us. It tries to get us to think differently than what we know is right. And when the world starts to get you to think differently from what you know is right, this is where death starts to enter. See, what happens is, is the serpent didn't lie to her. The serpent just gave her a half-truth, if you will. It deceived her. It's a whole different type of a, a thing. And this is what he said. He said, oh, you surely won't die. Because in their mind, death was imminent. But see, the serpent knew that it would take time. That it was a slow and painful process. It wasn't an immediate separation from God, but this would be a separation that would last a lifetime. And so the serpent said, oh, you won't die. She says, I won't? No, you won't die. I promise you. So she takes the fruit. Now here's what everybody doesn't really understand is, is that Adam wasn't too far off. Matter of fact, Adam might have been standing right there. And as soon as his wife takes a bite of the fruit, he doesn't know what death is, but he knows this. He knows that he loves his wife. And he knows whatever punishment that she's going to deal or whatever's going to happen to her, he's going to take the same thing. Why? Because that's what love does. Love takes the punishment. Whether right or wrong, it does not matter. I'm going to take the punishment. And so Adam grabs the piece of the fruit too, and he takes a bite of it. And immediately they saw each other, and they saw their nakedness. What they really saw was their shame. And they went, and they put, sewed fig leaves together. And they hid their nakedness from one another. 
But then the cool of the day came. And here came God. Adam, man, woman, where are you? Adam and and what we, we come to know as Eve later, they are hiding in a bush and behind of a tree. And, and uh, Adam starts yelling out. He says, I'm, I'm hiding. And I believe God looks and he says, well, we're not playing a game. Why are you hiding? He says, because I'm naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were naked? How do you know these things? Unless, did you eat from the tree, Adam? Well, I didn't eat from the tree. Well, I did, but it wasn't just me. See, see, this woman that you gave me, she ate it, and I knew that whatever she had to go through, I needed to go through because I can't separate myself from her. I love her. Do you love her more than me, Adam? I, I don't know. Now, God had a conundrum. I didn't, I, he didn't know what to do. He says, there's another tree in this garden. And it's the tree of everlasting life. And if these two eat the tree of everlasting life, then they'll be caught in this repetitive shame over and over again. So God made the decision. He says, I'm going to remove you from the garden, not to punish you. I'm removing you because I love you. You've got to give me a moment. You have got to give me a while to figure out what I am going to do because I too love you. And so he took animal skins, things that he created, and he had to put them to death to take their clothes, to clothe Adam and Eve. And the reason he did this, the reason he did this is because you can sew fig leaves together. And you can do your part, but you can never cover your shame. Only one can do that, and it's the Lord. And he removed Adam and Eve from the garden. But there was not yet one talk of death. This whole time, the one thing that God told them that would happen did not happen yet. And I believe Adam and Eve sat there outside the garden confused, trying to figure out what they were going to do. And then all of a sudden, she gets pregnant. And another heartbeat starts. It's the firstborn son. His name is Cain. And when Cain gets birthed out, they finally realize something that God was doing with them. Because see, it, it was this idea of that there was no punishment, but it was love. Because see, when you have a child and there's this thing that you've created, the two of you have created, you have this child and you love it. But here's the thing, it doesn't have to love you back. And see, one day... Cain gets older, he has brothers, he has sisters, but Cain gets mad once again uh, at his brother Abel because he believes that the Lord loves his gift, Abel's gift, more than the gift that he gave and he can't stand it and he gets enraged and in his rage he beats Abel to death. And the blood of Abel spills out into the ground. And the ground literally cries out because it doesn't know what to do. Because the ground was never created to hold the blood. 
And so Cain is now removed from Adam and Eve and the family, and he has to go out on his own. But the Lord says this, I still love you. I'm going to put a mark on you so that way nothing can kill you. Nothing can come and murder you like you did Abel. What you did to your brother, I will make sure nobody does to you. That is my grace to you. And he puts a mark on it. But humans didn't learn. We call her Eve because she was the first, she was the firstborn of all creation, basically. She starts to have all these kids and, and the planet starts to fill and populate. And as it does, this murderous, ravenous uh, uh, people start to grow. So numerous, so evil, so like filled with content and rage and hatred. So full of death. They just couldn't stand each other. And it says in the scriptures that they were so detestable in the eyes of God. God didn't know what to do. So he calls out to one of his people. The one righteous person in the entire planet. He looks at him and he calls him. He says, Noah, will you listen to me? Yes, Lord. What would you have me do? need you to build a boat because we're going to start over. And the floods came. The earth shook. The water from beneath rose up and people upon people started to die. See, this is the death that was talked about. This was the death that started to take place because of sin. And as Noah, as the floods receded and as Noah uh, starts to st a new family basically or a new world, his sons carry the same genetic code that Cain had, that Eve had, that Adam had. And he doesn't listen. And he leaves, and as he leaves, he starts his own family, and all of a sudden, once again, we start having hatred come up. But God says, I'm going to call people, and he calls people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he rises them up, and they're not the best of people. Let's just be real. They still have their flaws, but he said, you are still my people, and I will, I will love you. Please listen to me. And they didn't. They closed their ears off. God asked them to do certain things. And when they turned their head, God had no choice but to watch the destruction take place. Now, this wasn't by God's hand. No, no, no. God just watched what evil people did to people. God's sitting in heaven and he says, he, and he, he's sitting there and he's like, what are you doing to each other? Why? And so he starts to initiate something. He says, I'm going to talk to my people, those that will listen. And all of a sudden, we start to have these people known as prophets. They can hear the voice of God. They would have dreams. They would have visions. They even sometimes had audible voices talk to them. And their job was to tell the world what God was doing. But no one would listen. They tried, and they were mocked. They stood out on street corners, and they tried to tell them, look, if you go after this, if you do this, 
God will come and, and save us. And they didn't listen. And all of a sudden, because they didn't listen, they went into captivity. 500 years in captivity. They were slaves to the pharaohs of Egypt. And they cried out to their God, Why have you done this to us? Why haven't you seen our cries? Why haven't you done this? And God says, I've heard. I'm waiting. Because he is waiting on a man named Moses. And he sees Moses one day when Moses ran away. And he's looking for a sheep. He's looking for the lost sheep. The one sheep out of his entire flock that ran up a mountain. He said, I'm going to go find that. Why? Because it's better to find the one. Leave the 99 to find the one. So he goes out and he starts to find this lost sheep. And that's where God meets him in a burning bush. And he says, will you listen to me, Moses? Will you save my people? Took a little bit of convincing, but he did it. He said, yes, I'll go. And he goes straight up to the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, no, I can do your stupid little tricks. I can turn staffs into snakes. I can turn rivers into blood. I can do these things. And God says, well, guess what? It's going to get a little bit tougher now. And all of a sudden, uh, plagues start coming out of nowhere. And Pharaoh will not release his grip. Pharaoh holds on with a tight hand. And he says, I will not let your people go. And then this one moment happens. And God comes once again. And he talks to Moses. And he says, I need you to tell the people if they love me. And they recognize me. They need to go and they need to slaughter a lamb. And they need to take the blood and they need to put it over the doorpost. Because the blood of the lamb will save you. The blood of the lamb will save you. And Moses is like, save us from what? Death is coming. Death is coming once again. It's not coming in the form of a flood. It's not coming in the form of a murder. It's coming in the form of a spirit. And it's going to take the firstborns. It's going to take, it's going to take life away from everybody in Egypt. And it doesn't matter if you're uh, Egyptian or if you're Hebrew. If I see the blood, the blood is the only thing that will save you. I will pass by those houses. And so he tells the people, and I'll be honest with you, not all listened. Some of them thought that, that Moses was a crackpot. They thought, well, this guy is insane. He's crazy. He's talking about these things. And yeah, I've seen all these disastrous things, but let's just be real. We can, we can like scientifically prove them how these things happened. Well, that's great. Congratulations. But then all of a sudden, this truly happened. And you can't explain it. But one night, in the middle of the night, death came. And it says there was such a loud groan in Egypt that it echoed through the country. But those that followed the blood, those that received the blood, death could not harm them. And the story goes... They take him out of Egypt 
and they're in the middle of the desert and guess what happens? The people decide immediately, I am not listening to Moses anymore. I want to do my own thing. I know I've seen all these great miraculous things, but I'm tired. I want to see my own thing. It's better for me to die back in Egypt than die out in this desert. So I want to do my own thing. And God says, fine, if that's how you're going to be, why don't you wander around for 40 years? And Moses looks at him. He says, I, I want the promised land. He goes, I know what you want. But can you get them to want it too? Forty years passed by, an entire generation of people that said they didn't want the promised land died off, and a whole new generation rises up, and it's no longer Moses. Moses never got to see the promised land. Why? Because he couldn't get his people to understand how precious the promised land was. But there was another guy that rose up, and we thank God for Joshua. Because Joshua is the one that leads him into the promised land, defeats the giants that were standing there, and he takes the land back. And he says, this land will be ours. And he's, everybody's in 12 tribes now. And he splits the tribes up amongst, every, uh, amongst the land. And he says, this land is yours. Take care of it. And we will be Israel. We will be the Hebrew people. This is who we will be. But once again, once you split everybody in the tribes, man starts to take forth once again. And what happens? They start to leave what God intended for them uh, away. They start getting rid of the God, the God loss. And they start getting rid of all these things. They said, we're not following you anymore. We're going to do our own thing. We know what we're doing. And so God says, what am I going to do now? And he sends more prophets. And then one day, he tells of one prophet, the prophet Isaiah. He says, Isaiah... I'm going to end this once and for all. I'm coming. But when I come, it won't be me in all of my glory. I'm coming like one of you. And in Isaiah chapter 53, he talks about how this servant will suffer. He talks about how this servant, this, this servant will, will, will not just uh, 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 go or, or be ridiculed and degraded. He goes on to say that you won't even recognize him by the time they're done beating him. And there was a psalmist named David. He writes in Psalms chapter 22. He writes this this. This beautiful poem slash song about this suffering of this servant. The suffering of this man that was to take place. And, the, and Psalms 22 starts off with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's really getting at is this, knowing that when this phrase is said, you'll know who he is. Psalms 23 it's the psalms of death. I will lay down my green pastures, still waters. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For God is with me. And Psalms 24 hits. And if you read Psalms 22, 23, 24, it talks about a man that dies and suffers, a man that goes to the death, and a man that rises. And the prophets keep coming, but Israel won't listen. 
750 years, 1,000 years later, all of a sudden you have this thing where God just decides, I'm not talking to my people. I'm just going to show up. Tells this young woman named Mary. Mary, you have found favor with me. Mary, will you carry my son? Lord, who am I? I'm a nobody. I don't even find myself righteous, let alone I don't think I'm righteous in your eyes. Mary, will you do this for me? Yes, Lord, your will be done. But you're going to have to talk to my husband. We're betrothed to be married, and, and if they find out that I'm pregnant, I, I, I will certainly die. I'll talk with Joseph. Joseph, your wife is pregnant and is of God. But don't worry, Joseph. We will respect you. We will love you. But you we've called as well. Not just Mary, but you. Will you raise him right? Christmas Day happens. Angels are singing. Pharisees, Sadducees, these people don't know what's going on. Matter of fact, the king of, of Israel at the time sits back and he goes, he, um, when, when these wise men show up, these magi show up and they say, where's your new king? And he says, new king, I'm right here. Full of pride. He says, I'm right here. No, no, the new king, we saw his star. This king gets his own star. This king gets mad and he says, forget him. Herod gets mad. He says, forget this king. When I find him, I'll kill him. Why? Because this crown belongs to my family and my family alone. I can care less if it's God's child or not. Jesus is his name. Runs to the one place that his people were held captive for so long. Leaves Bethlehem, leaves Bethlehem and goes straight into Egypt. And there in Egypt he hides from Herod. And we don't know how long he's there. We don't know how long anything really happens between him being born and being a baby to him starting his ministry. But we do know this. that Between him being a baby and him uh, starting ministry, um, his family has more kids. There's James and sisters. Can you imagine... Who's my older brother? The son of God. Yeah, I know you like him more. <laughs> and then one day, Jesus steps forth with his cousin. Because his cousin heard the call of the Lord and he goes out into the desert and he's a single voice in the desert, this crazy man with just eating locusts and having camel hair on him. And he's just sitting there and he's calling out, the Lord is here. The kingdom of God is here. And then one day as he's sitting there baptizing people in the river, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he looks at him and he says, this is him. He's the one. He gets baptized. As he gets baptized, the heavens open up. God literally comes down in the form of a dove. And he says, well, or he says, this is my son who I am well pleased. 
See, Jesus then starts his ministry and everybody thinks that Jesus is going to be a king, that Jesus is going to somehow come and he's going to take over the Romans and he's going to start a rebellion. Because why? Because Israel is taken over by Rome and they want their city back. They want their, 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 their temple back. They want it back. Three years he does ministry. Three years they try to attack him. Three years they try to find a loophole to get Jesus, to kill Jesus. And all of a sudden, one night, one of his best friends betrays him. Evil never stopped. Death never stopped chasing humanity. So Jesus, one night, at the Passover meal, they were remembering how the blood stopped death. He lifts up a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood that I'm about to spill out for you. When you drink it, remember me. And he holds up a loaf of bread and he breaks it and he says, this will be my body broken for you when you eat of it. Will you remember me? And his disciples, his buddies, his, his, his crew is sitting there and they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. No, he's not crazy. He just knew it was time. See, this man wasn't born to be a king, although he was. He was born to die. He was born to beat the power of death once and for all. No longer was it going to be animals that were going to save humanity. It had to be God. So that night, Judas, the betrayer, walks out of the meal. And after they finish the meal, they walk into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're at the garden, it's really early in the morning or really late at night, depending on how your schedule works. And he looks at his disciples. He says, look, I love you guys, but I need you. I need you to stay awake for me. And he goes off on his own and he sits there and he's pleading with the father because he knows what has to happen. He knows that crucifixion is the only way to spill his blood. He knows this is what's going to happen to him. And crucifixion was the worst pain you could ever go through. And he literally starts to sweat blood in the garden because he's so anxious and nervous and stressed. And he goes back to his disciples who were supposed to not be sleeping and they were all sleeping. And he wakes them up. And he says, what's wrong with you? Get up. My hour has come. And he once again goes back and he prays by himself. And he says, Father, if you can take this cup from me, if you can do this any other way, then please take it from me. And then he stops and he says, you know what, God? Father, not my will, but yours be done. As soon as that happens, all of a sudden, everybody thinks it's the Romans that came up. It's not the Romans that came up. It's, it's, the, it's the, the Pharisees that came up. They came rolling up with their torches, and they came rolling up with their chains, and they started having this commotion, and all of a sudden, they're trying to see, who is Jesus? Who is the one we're supposed to get? And then Judas appears, and he says, oh, Rabbi. And he gives him a big kiss. Does he betray me with a kiss, Judas? And then he gets grabbed 
put in handcuffs and put on trial. Lied about. They, got, they mocked him. They did 18 different things that they weren't supposed to do. They broke their own laws 18 different times to make sure that this man was put on death row. They brought in people that gave false testimony. And he had to sit there and take it. He didn't say a word. He just stood there silent. And they hit him. They beat him. They mocked him. They degraded him. And they started to start shouting, no, this man needs to die for his crimes. And now the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their, their little court, they couldn't figure it out. They, they weren't allowed to put anybody to death because they didn't actually like run the, the country. There was one person that could, and that was Rome. And so they had to take him to the governor. They had to pretty much take him to who was running it, and that was Pontius Pilate. They took him to Pontius Pilate. They said, this man needs to die. And Pontius Pilate has no skin in the game, okay? He, has, he doesn't care what's going on. All he knows is the Jewish people want to rebel. The Jewish people have been rising up. Matter of fact, there was this one guy named Barabbas who started a rebellion and actually killed a Roman. And he's sitting there uh, on death row as we speak. And he's like, if this man needs to die and it makes sure that the Jews are okay, then fine. I'll do whatever I have to do. He says, let's put him on trial. And so they put Jesus on trial. And as they put Jesus on trial, the Romans take him and they beat him. They shove a crown of thorns on his head and they beat it on with a stick. They throw a robe, a purple robe around him because he said he was a king and they mock him. And then uh, Pontius Pilate comes back out and he says, I can't find any fault in this man. Why do you guys want to kill him so bad? He's one of you. And they yell, don't tell me he's one of us. And he says, fine, I'll have him flogged. Well, I haven't beaten, but that's it. And so they go and they give him this cat of nine tails where it rips the flesh off your back and into the meat of your back, which is their muscle. And it's basically just a horrific thing. And they bring him back. And they say, that's it, we're done. And they said, no, we want to crucify him. He says, I'm not doing that. Pontius Pilate comes to Jesus' aid. And here's the reason why. Because Pontius Pilate has a wife. And guess what? His wife had a dream about who this man really was. And she said, do not have his blood on your hands. Because there's a real God. And he talked to me. And that's his son. So Pontius Pilate goes like this. I ain't touching him. So he gets up with an idea. I'll send Barabbas home. I'm allowed at this, at this customary, I'm allowed to send one person home. And he goes, Barabbas, we're sending you home. And they all shouted, yay! And they said, but we still want him to die. See, they thought, they, they put Jesus and Barabbas up, that they were going to let Jesus go, because Barabbas was this murderer, but it backfired on Pilate. So the last thing they could possibly do, an uprising started to happen. They started yelling, crucify, crucify, take him away, take him away. And Pontius Pilate brings out a bowl of water, and he dips his hands in it, and he says, I find no fault in this man. His blood will be on your hands. And the Romans grab him, and he starts walking towards what they call Golgotha, a place of the skulls. And as he's walking out to the place of the skulls, 
People are mocking him, lining the streets. Some are shouting for him. Some are mocking him. They're spitting on him. And he's carrying this cross. And he's so depleted. He's so beaten that he has to have a friend, somebody else, grab the cross for him. And, and Simon or Simeon comes up. And he grabs the cross for him and walks the cross to Golgotha for him. And there they throw the cross on the ground. They stretch him out. And they nail him through each wrist. And then they put his feet together and they put it through his feet. Three nails. Now you don't die because you have nails in you. That's not the case. Actually, what starts to happen is, is you can't actually breathe. Because in order to breathe, you have to actually pull yourself on the nails and pull yourself from the nail on the bottom to actually get your rib cage to expand to suck in air. Are you guys with me on this one? And he's sitting there, and that's the only way he can breathe to keep himself alive. But he's not, he's not there by himself. There's two other criminals on his, on his right and on his left. And they start mocking him. One starts to mock him, excuse me. As one starts to mock him, the other one comes to Jesus' uh, uh, defense, and he says, we deserve to be here. He doesn't. And he looks over at Jesus, and he says, will you remember me today when you go to paradise? And he says, I'll see you there. And then Jesus starts to say these weird things as he's on the cross. He starts to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he yells out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And all of a sudden the Jewish people that were sitting there would have recognized, oh my gosh, it's the Psalms. It's David's prophecy come to fruition. It's Isaiah's prophecy come to fruition. This is the man. This is the suffering servant. And they're sitting there. And the Romans, who have, they have no skin in the game. They don't know what's going on. One of the Romans is sitting there. And, he's, and, and he starts to see what's going on. And he's like, something's different with this guy. And all of a sudden, he yells out, it is finished. And then he takes his last breath. And he dies. Now the Romans don't know what to do because there was an earthquake that happened right at that moment. The veil of the temple ripped into two and Jesus is now dead on the cross. The temple is in shambles and the people are scattering because of the earthquake. And the Roman soldier is sitting there and they're like, what do we do? And they're like, pierce his heart. Stab him in the heart. See if he's actually dead. And when they pierced him into his heart, blood and water flowed out, meaning that he was dead for a while. And one of the Roman soldiers got down on his knees and he said... Truly, this was the Son of God. And we'll stop the story there. Because soon after they grab him, they pull him off the cross, and there was this guy, a rich man, he said, I can't just have Jesus thrown into a tomb with all these murderers and, and all these thieves, and I can't do that. He can have my tomb. And so they take him down off the cross, and, and they put him in this tomb. And that's where he sits. And if we ended the story there, this is a tragedy. But if you're wondering why I'm telling you this story, this account, you have to recognize that it is the story since the dawn of time. God trying to gain back the love of his people. He's not going to do it with an army. He's going to do it with open arms.
He's not going to do it to force you into anything because that wouldn't be loving. He wants to gain your trust. He wants to show you the love that he has. He wants to show you the mercy and the grace that he pours out to all of his people. And he did it through a cross. He did it through his blood. And if we're honest in this place today, the blood just takes care of the sin. Your sins are absolutely gone. Never to be thought of again. God doesn't look at them. God doesn't care about them. They're gone. They're obliterated right there with the blood on the cross. But here's the problem. If it's just the blood on the cross and we stop today, it's still tragic. Why? Because you might have blood on your hands and you might have be covered in blood. But let's just be real. Death is still stalking you. Death is still at your door. And this is the power of Sunday. See, if we stopped on Friday, we have a problem. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross because guess what? Lamb's blood would have done the same thing. Goat's blood would have done the same thing. For centuries prior to Jesus, the blood of lambs and goats covered your sin and your iniquities. They covered your, who you are, but death still struck. Did that make sense? But there's power in the resurrection. If you want to finish the story, you need to come back. <laughs> because tonight, we're just remembering the sacrifice. Babe, you can come on stage. We're just remembering the sacrifice from a loving God who throughout time has been trying to get back the love of his people. So tonight I ask you the question, where are you at with this? Are you like the Israelites wandering the desert still, mocking God, wanting to do your own thing? Are you like the kings of old where they just said, you know what God, we got it. We don't need your help anymore. Are you like Cain and all of his descendants that got wiped out by a flood because they thought they knew what was better and that they wanted to just live their life and have no consequences? Or tonight, are you living under the blood? Are you living under the love and the grace and the mercy that God has poured out? And are you giving that love to others? So tonight, all I wanted to do was share the greatest story ever told. I wanted to share with you the love of a God, a creator, Lord. And I know it took some time, but this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what has changed lives since the dawn of time. Will you enter that story? Are you part of that story? So for you tonight, as we sing the next couple songs, here's what we're going to do. There's only two. We're almost done. Around in the back, there's bread. And there's a cup of grape juice, not wine. Um, Just like Passover, we're going to remember it. We're going to remember what the blood has done. That death no longer comes to our door.
because of what he has done. So what you do is you take the bread and you can dip it in uh, to, the, uh, to the cup. Please don't all drink out of the cup. We're not doing the Catholic thing, okay? Dip and take it back to your seat or you can stand in the back. But when you're ready, you take it on your own. Say your own prayer. I know God's been working something in your hearts during this moment or during this time. If you need to ask for forgiveness, ask for it. He's ready to give it. If you need to be hugged, ask him. He'll give a hug. If you need to feel love, he'll give it tonight. Maybe some of you guys, you're good. Amen. Continue to ask for his presence. So the next few moments are going to be yours. Like I said, there are stations in the back. Take, dip, go to your seat, have a prayer. Praise God for the last couple songs. So Father, love on your sons and daughters. May we remember who you are as we sing these next praises to you. God, would you just reveal yourself once again to your people. We ask this in your name, Father. Speak and be free. But don't say goodbye to me. Yes, you'll see them put the spear in my side. But remember, it's only Friday. So, you need not say goodbye.